0: All right, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today, and once again, welcome. It is such a joy and a privilege to be with you, worshiping the living God today. And what an honor it is um, to follow up these past two weeks of words from our very own Pastor Cole Parlier, and the amazing words from the Lord that he gave us in helping us understand how to thrive in God in every season that we might in fact fulfill the purposes of God in our lives. And so I'm going to pick up where he left off going through the life of Isaac again today and understanding the principles that God the Father gives us to understand how to thrive in every season. But this message is going to be particularly focused on thriving in your inheritance from God thriving in your inheritance from God. And so today we're going to focus on this statement that you will thrive through each season of your life, not just some of them, but each season of your life when you look to God for your inheritance. We're going to break the message down today into three parts. We're going to talk first about an inheritance from the father. We're going to talk secondly about the fact that we don't need to sell our birthrights. And then finally, we're going to talk about the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us, that in every uh, season at all times and in every way we might thrive as we look to you for our eternal inheritance and reward. God, we're asking you that you would help us to grow in faith for this and make decisions accordingly in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, so let's first start today by talking about an inheritance from the Father. And what you need to know is that you have a heavenly Father. If you are a believer, if you belong to Jesus, you have a heavenly Father, God the Father, who wants you to thrive and has an inheritance for you in which you will do so as you remain in Him. You have a heavenly father who has an inheritance for you, wanting you to thrive, and you will do so as you remain in him. And when we look at the story of Isaac, and we look at how he received his inheritance from his father Abraham, as Abraham was getting ready to go all the way of the earth, we can see, in fact, it as an example of how God the father wants to give an inheritance to his children through his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you have a Bible today, open with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimram, Jokshin, Madan, Midian, Ishbek, and Shua. Jokshin fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were the following. It also said that the sons of Midian were the following. He had several sons. And all these were children of Keturah. But then it goes on to say this. Abraham, in the midst of all the children that he inevitably would have, he said Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And why? Because as God had promised that Isaac was the son through whom the promise that God made to Abraham would be fulfilled He says, ultimately, God had given Abraham throughout his lifetime, great honor, great success, great accolades, and now he was going the way of all the earth, he couldn't take it with him, and that's a lesson that we all need to learn. No matter how many accomplishments you have in this lifetime, you cannot take them with you. And the only thing that you can take with you is faith in Jesus Christ looking forward to an eternal inheritance and reward given by God the Father in response to your obedience during the life that you lived before him. And Abraham said, I can't take any of this with me, so I'm going to leave everything that I have to this promised son, Isaac. And when you look down in verse 11, if we skip down together, it said that Abraham eventually breathed his last and died in a good old age. That's what we all hope for at some point, right? To die at a good old age, if it be the Lord's will. And it said, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. And so what we see is that ultimately, God the Father has an inheritance for each and every one of us in which he wants us to thrive through his son, Jesus Christ. And this was modeled in the natural lineage that God was giving to Abraham, Isaac, and then one day to um, Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau. And we see that ultimately we have an inheritance from God that God doesn't have hold begrudgingly from us, but he looks forward to giving us in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus Christ ultimately in his ministry, his earthly ministry said this, do not fear little flock or little children, those who are following Jesus as disciples. Because it was your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you know that that's God's heart and disposition towards you? That God has good pleasure in wanting to give his children the kingdom. That we don't have to fight him for it. We don't have to contend with him for it. That God in his gracious heart wants to give his kingdom, his inheritance, and his gifts to his children but to do so just like Isaac stayed in relationship with his earthly father Abraham to be able to receive the inheritance that Abraham had for Isaac. So we need to stay near to God to get the heavenly goods that God desires to bestow upon us, including his promises and the fellowship and gifts of the Holy Spirit through which we accomplish God's purposes in the earth. And what we need to know is that our intimacy with God ultimately leads to a sure inheritance in Him. You might have heard of families before where the father or the mother who were the patriarch or the matriarch of the family had children with whom they were estranged. And though they loved their children and had great wealth and great possessions that they wanted to give to their children because of the strained relationship, over the course of time when the parents went the way of all the earth as Abraham did, the children were somehow cut out of the will or didn't receive that which the parents wanted to give them because of a lack of closeness, a a lack of nearness in relationship. It happens all the time. But what God's saying is he wants to give us an inheritance in him, including the presence, the purposes of God, and also the power and gifts of his Holy Spirit. But staying near to God is what actually ensures that in our lives. And God ultimately entrusts his kingdom to those who will steward, steward their inheritance well and continue his purposes based on his promises who will steward his inheritance well and continue his purposes based on his promises. Now, whenever you hear of inheritances, a lot of times you also hear that sometimes parents who have great wealth or great possessions that they want to give their children, if they feel that their children will waste them, will blow all that they had worked for throughout their lifetime or ultimately will use it for nefarious ends. Then ultimately, the parent will put a stop to the inheritance that the child would otherwise receive. And God is saying, ultimately, I want to give you my inheritance. I want to give you my kingdom. But that which I want to give you, you need to be blessed to use your blessings for my purposes. You are blessed to be a blessing, Isaac. You are blessed to be a blessing just like your father Abraham in Genesis 12 was told, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you couldn't just cul-de-sac in your life of blessing and comfort, but you would be blessed to be a blessing so that all nations on the earth might be blessed through your life. And when we have that understanding that that's the heart of God and also what he wants us to do with his inheritance then not only can we receive it from our heavenly father, but then we can, also, we can also be blessed by God in that which we put our hands to. And this is what Genesis 25 went on to go on and talk about. In verse 19, it says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she, meaning Rebekah, was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, why is this important here? Well, what we know is that God's inheritance to Abraham was that I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. And before Abraham died, he was able to receive the promised child, Isaac, his son. But Isaac grew and inevitably he said, well, listen, I'm not a nation in and of myself. No matter how great I think I am, I'm not a nation by myself. There's got to be something that comes out of me in a multiplication of other lives being affected and touched through my life that's going to ultimately fulfill the purposes of God. And Isaac took a wife, Rebecca, as we talked about last week. But unfortunately, for a period of time, his wife, Rebecca was barren. So what was Isaac to do? Well, the good news is, is that he had the faith of his father, Abraham, to look back to. And he heard the stories about how his mother, Sarah, for years, believing the promises of God, was barren herself. And faith rose up in the heart of his father Abraham to believe against all conditions, all circumstances, all, um, um, all, all uh, facts that his body was as good as dead and received the promise of God's supernatural provision of a son as he cried out to God and aligned himself with him. And so Isaac, learning this lesson from his father, knew there was an inheritance that God, not just Abraham, his father, but God the father had for him. And so he rose up in the same faith that father Abraham had and Isaac started to pray, God to fulfill your generational promise to me, I'm asking you to open my wife's womb. And may she conceive just like my mother Sarah conceived so that I might have children and that your promises might continue in my life as well. He had confidence to do this because he knew the heart of God, the father, just like he knew the heart of Abraham, his father, who had blessed him. And what Isaac understood was that starting in life, later in life, rather, does not mean that you missed your inheritance whether it be with the grace of God, meaning that you lived a life of sin and rebellion for many years of your life and maybe came to the Lord later in life and really started following him, or you just came into the gifts of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You knew Jesus, but you weren't familiar with the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he wanted to bestow on you as a part of his kingdom to fulfill his purposes. And what Isaac understood is that Though he was 40 years old, it says 40 years old when he took Rebekah his life, starting later in life did not mean that he missed the inheritance of God. He was starting later, but God still had the promises and inheritance for him. And he could have faith to pray for the promises of God spoken by the Holy Spirit over his family line. And like Abraham and Isaac, what that means for you, and what that means for me is that I can look and you can look to God to fulfill whatever promise he has made to you, whatever promise he has made to me, whether in his written word or spoken by the Holy Spirit to you about how he wants to use and intervene in and change your life by the power of his word and the Holy Spirit. That's why in Corinthians, years later, after Jesus' life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection, the Apostle Paul would say, no matter how many promises were made, they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because God the Father has an inheritance he wants to give us. And this gives me confidence to not only wait on my inheritance from God, but to guard against that which would look to steal it. To guard against that which would look to steal it. So in Isaac's case, he saw that his wife, Rebekah, was barren. He said, I'm going to resist that as a discouragement. And I'm going to pray for that which I know God has promised me. He prayed, God answered, and then he had his sons, Jacob and Esau. For you and for me, it may be other things that come to steal our inheritance. And we might we need to all be wise enough to identify it so that we don't ultimately sell our birthright, though God wants to give us an inheritance, a great inheritance in him. And to thrive, we must know that which threatens our birthright and then protect it. We must know that which threatens our birthright and then protect it. So what is it that the devil uses to try to steal my birthright? Remember in John ten ten, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and said, "Listen, there is a real enemy of your soul, the devil, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life." But Jesus said, "I've come that you might have life and life to the full in your relationships, in your calling, in your uh, in, in your provision, in every area of life." God says, "I want you to have life to the full," and the desire. What the enemy does to steal your birthright, though, is he gives you the desire for momentary pleasures outside of the will of God to steal your inheritance. The enemy gives you the temptation and the desire for momentary pleasures outside of the will of God to come and steal your inheritance. And what you don't want to do is forsake your eternal reward in God for your short-term desires being temporarily satisfied. Why, because the reality is, is that carnal pleasures come and go. It doesn't matter how much I eat in a day. Tell me if this is true of you too. It doesn't matter how much I eat in the day. Two hours later, no matter how much I ate in the meal before, two hours later, I have a hankering for something. Now, if I follow all of those desires, to my detriment, my health would plummet, right? But it just is reality that carnal desires come and go and ultimately are never fully satisfied. But what we see is that in Christ, the inheritance that he gives us is eternal. And in him, I can be eternally satisfied. What I need to do is learn to trust the Lord to thrive, while suffering in a godly manner when I'm in the in-between place. The in-between place of God giving his promise and me actually seeing it fulfilled. There's an in-between place of suffering where I say, you know what, I know I have an inheritance, Christ, but I have a a hunger that's being unfulfilled right now, a need relationally that's being unfulfilled right now, a desire right now that's being unfulfilled. And in that in-between place can be a place of suffering. But I need to learn how to do it in a godly manner so that my inheritance in Christ ultimately won't be stolen. We need to remember that thriving in God and suffering are not two mutually exclusive conditions. Suffering and thriving in God are not two mutually exclusive conditions, meaning that I can learn to thrive even in the midst of my suffering. And our greatest example of that is Jesus Christ himself going to the cross for the joy set before him. That not only would he, through his sacrifice on the cross, pay for the sins of you and me and all of humanity, but then he would also rise from the dead to have eternal life and offer it to all who would believe in him. And this is what we see that Isaac ultimately would have to teach his children, Jacob and Esau, but that his son Esau wouldn't learn and would ultimately lose his birthright because of it. In Genesis 25 verse 29, it says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, these again, Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac who he prayed for when his wife, Rebekah was barren. Here they are, In answer to God's prayer, grown up and cooking some food. Isn't that great news? That eventually your kids grow and they learn to do for themselves, right? And they're here cooking some food. Jacob's cooking some stew. And Esau came in from the field. He came in from the the field because he was a mighty hunter. But when he came in from the field, it said that Esau was exhausted. Over this past year and a half, anybody been Exhausted? I have, but what we do when we're exhausted matters. And it's very important. We'll see this with Esau. It said, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, meaning Esau's another name that he was given like a nickname. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. You see, the birthright back in that day was that the firstborn would get the lion's share of the inheritance. Esau, though Jacob and Esau were twins, Esau came out first, and he would have, by birthright, been given the inheritance of his father Isaac. But Jacob, being a crafty younger brother as he was, said, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. I see that he's exhausted, in need, suffering, and has a desire that he wants to be fulfilled. So I'm going to see if I can get it off of him, scheme it off of him. By having him sell me his birthright for some of the stew that I made. He said, sell me your birthright now, Esau. Now, And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? I'm about to die. I've been hunting all day. I'm famished. Esau, you're here cooking in the home. Listen, give me some of the stew. I'm about to die. Just let me meet my immediate need. And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he, meaning Esau, swore to him, meaning Jacob, and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his Birthright. Now, this is one of those scriptures that could be easily overlooked if we didn't have a direct focus on this topic today, the inheritance of God. That obviously you would say, what's the big deal? Esau was hungry. Jacob gave him some food. Yeah, maybe he said a few words and said, yeah, you can have my birthright. But what's the big deal? Well, here in this culture, it was a big deal because words actually meant something, (laughs) Words actually meant something. I know that nowadays people throw around words, whether they mean them or not, make empty promises, whether they mean them or not. But you see, in God's economy, God's not like that. Everything that you have in God or can look forward to in God is based on the fidelity of his word to you. And the fidelity of his word to me. And so when Esau was willing to, by his word, say, listen, Jacob, you can have my birthright. Before God, that was a done deal. He said, fine, if you're going to sell and despise your birthright, meaning despise by not considering it valuable, not considering it precious, not considering it something to protect and to preserve and to pursue, and you're just gonna give it away to Jacob, Fine, noted, noted, and I'll mark that in my economy. And what we see here is that Esau despised his birthright from Isaac and ultimately God by trading it for temporary relief from his hunger. And we, by example, need to learn a lesson from this, that we will all face times of hunger or want when we feel like we will, like Esau, die. If we don't have some natural need met, whether it be for provision, companionship, a sense of purpose or pleasure, some form of encouragement or recommendation or commendation, we all have those as needs that we need met, right? But are we willing to, like Esau, go after the temporary relief of these hungers in exchange for our birthright. Will you do that? Or better yet, even have you done that? There's a man named Ronald Nash who talked about it on a a global level in this way, where he said, the world is not composed of religious and non-religious people. It is composed rather of religious people who have differing ultimate concerns different gods and he's not just talking about um, different religions, he's talking about that which that rules their life, their minds their hearts and ultimately that they serve and who respond to the living God in different ways. Robert Ronald Nash went on to say that when any individual or collection of individuals acts in di- disobedience to the moral order, short-term gratification may be experienced, but such behavior, produces an inevitable deterioration of the personality and leads to a long-term loss of what is truly worthy. And if we think about the sin that all of us have experienced or fallen into at different points of our lives, this is exactly what he's talking about. What did I trade for that one night stand? What did I trade for that moment of drunkenness just to be accepted in the company in which I found myself? What did I trade for it? And what you give up for short-term pleasure cannot be regained, nor can the misplaced hunger truly ever be satisfied outside of God. So again, what have you been willing to sell for what have you been willing to sell your birthright? Has it been a relationship? Maybe you said, I've waited so long to have a significant other. And I know God says for me not to be yoked together with unbelievers, but you know what? I'm I'm done with this. And I need to have my desire for companionship satisfied. So I'm willing to trade in my values for that. Was it a one night stand as I talked about? Was it even in the social media realm selling out holiness for a sense of gratification? on Instagram, or a few extra likes on TikTok, how you represent yourself to the world. What we need not do is let the temptation to live for immediate gratification have us forsake the inheritance of God. Why do I say this? Because later in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament spoke of this instance with Jacob and Esau. And he said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, which means being set apart to God, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." And what we need to know is that that can be our case if we don't have the fear of the Lord in us. We don't want to despise our birthright in God. We want to protect it with a life lived in holiness before him. You will never be able to do what God requires you to do, even in the secret place, because you live for the fickle and anemic accolades of men, whether in the workplace, relationships, or in social media. But our hearts and your heart, my heart will thrive when we truly look to God and God alone for his reward. That's why Jesus, even when he was talking in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, if you give, give in secret. If you pray, pray in secret. If you fast, fast in secret. And your heavenly father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Why? Because you're looking for your inheritance from him. The question is, is that over this past year and a half with the pandemic, what has your walk with God been like when people have been separated and no one was watching you? Has it been something that God would look to reward? Or have you been willing to sell your birthright for momentary pleasures in the name of temporary relief? If you have sold your birthright, the question is, what are you to do? Well, the good news is is that ultimately we can repent and turn to Christ for redemption and an eternal inheritance in him. This is why theologian J.I. Packer actually said this, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, So our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. So he says, repent and once again, believe the good news that Christ ultimately has an inheritance for you. And Christ gives an inheritance that is ultimately both satisfying and eternal. This is why, again, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And when God is a consuming fire to us, he causes us to thrive in life despite challenge, loss, or hunger. It's why C.S. Lewis, the uh, famed writer and uh, philosopher, would ultimately say God doesn't want something from us He simply wants us. And I must remember that truly thriving means entering into the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus and his sinless life. I have a model to follow that will lead me into thriving in God's eternal plan. That even when I think I'm missing something, I'm really not. If I'm keeping in step with God, because his inheritance for me is far greater than anything that I would trade it for. This is why in John chapter five, Jesus himself spoke in verse 21 saying, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life. Even if you feel like you're dead on the inside, he says he raises the dead to give them life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is because of his substitutionary, sacrificial death on the cross, I can thrive in life despite my mistakes when I repent of my sin. Because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, I don't have to sell out my birthright for temporary pleasures because I know in him I have eternal life and a never Ending reward, but I've got to focus and have a laser focus on receiving that inheritance, not just from every whim or fancy that would pass my way, but get it solely from the father. Just like Isaac got it solely from Abraham. In the same way, we've got to look solely to God, the father through his son, Jesus Christ and his ways to get his inheritance in him. And I'll end with this story. And I'm gonna ask you to forgive me for looking down on my notes to read this story. I don't have it fully memorized, but I think it will bless you if you focus on the inheritance and it'll help you focus on the inheritance that we have in Christ. It's an allegory, it's a parable that I've shared with many of you before, but I wanna make sure to share it today as we look to our inheritance in God. And so if you would, listen as I read. It says, years ago, there was a very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many others adorned the walls of the family estate. The widowed elder man looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused his father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. The art collector anxiously awaited more news, fearing he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son had so looked forward to, would visit his house no longer. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. As the two began to talk, the soldier told of how the man's son had told everyone of his, not to mention his father's love of fine art. I'm an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the son. Though the world would never consider it the work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man thanked the soldier, promising to hang the picture over the fireplace. A few hours later, after the soldier had departed, the old man set about his task. True to his word, the painting went well above the fireplace, pushing aside thousands of dollars of paintings. And then the man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. During the days and weeks that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those who he had touched. He would soon learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his caring heart. As the stories of his son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the grief. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the pieces for which museums around the world clamored. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he had ever received. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was in anticipation. Unmindful of the story of the man's only son, but in his honor, those paintings would be sold at at an auction. According to the will of the old man, all of the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received his greatest gift. The the day soon arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled this day. Greatness would be achieved as many claim I have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was a painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding with $100, he asked. Minutes passed. No one spoke. From the back of the room came, Who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go on to the good stuff. More voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Now who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. Will you take $10 for the painting? That's all I have. I knew the boy, so I'd like to have it. I have $10. Will anyone go higher? Called the auctioneer. After more silence, the auctioneer said, Going once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell. Cheers filled the room and someone exclaimed, Now we can get on with it and we can bid on these treasures. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all of these paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand that you explain what's going on here. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, Whoever takes the sun gets it all. Whoever takes the sun gets it all. And ultimately, That is our appeal to you today, that God has an inheritance for you, but ultimately it is found in his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for your sins, died on the cross sacrificially for you, and then rose again three days later to give you not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. So let us therefore draw near to God at the cross, whether a believer or simply a seeker today, Let's draw near to God at the cross through repentance and faith to honor His Son, Jesus Christ, and thrive in every season as we look to our eternal inheritance in Him. And so I want to end today by giving everyone an opportunity to come freshly to the cross. And if this is your first time coming and receiving the Son of God as your Savior and Lord, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I've lived for myself and I've looked for it in outside of your commands and your ways. Father, I know that I've been in rebellion to you. I know I deserve death and hell, but I don't want it and I ask you today to forgive me. I thank you for sending your son like in this story to live the perfect life that I should have lived and on the cross die the sacrificial death that I should have died. And three days later raised him from the dead so that I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in you. God, I receive your son today. Would you please make me a new creation in him and provide for me an inheritance that is eternal and cannot be shaken as I proclaim Jesus my Lord today. Thank you for your love for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only next steps, But also, resources for how to walk out this life of inheritance in God. We're going to continue to talk about these things in our community groups this week. So, if you've not yet found an option, please do go to our website where you can find both in person and virtual options. We're going to um, continue to pray for you this week. So, let us know how we can be standing with you. And please do think about whom you might share this link, with whom you might share this link, so that they might also be strengthened by the grace of God. Invite those same people with you to service next week so that they can meet the living God found in His Son, Jesus Christ. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you, we love you, and we'll see you soon.